Hi all, Rob here. This is the after-show conversation Don and I had with guest Michael Monaghan after the official show recording had stopped. Michael was a fascinating and charming guest, and we easily could have talked to him for hours about horror hosts and some of his other passions, if dinner and other things hadn't come calling. As it was, we talked for another hour and a half, and what you're about to hear is an edited-down version of some of the highlights of that conversation, which, by the way, had so much good stuff in it that it's actually as long as an episode by itself. If anyone is listening to this who hasn't heard episode 27, about the American horror host phenomenon of the 20th century, then you might want to go back and listen to that first, as this is kind of a follow-up to that episode, and it'll make a lot more sense that way. Anyway, sit back, relax, and let's return to the world of horror hosts with Michael Monaghan. Enjoy! Oh, I gotta, I gotta ask, you mentioned a... Uh... A YouTube reviewer in uh, in Britain. That wouldn't happen to be the uh, Dark Corners guy, would it? No, no. It's a, a fellow by the name of Mark Kermode. Okay. And, uh, and I had a, a friend of mine who was in, in England who was sending me um, various tapes, including some of the Nina stuff, over time. Mm-hmm. And we were also big James Bond collectors. So uh, we were doing some of that trading. But... There were a series of movie specials that were hosted by Mark Kermode on, uh, like, Alien and The Exorcist in 2001, Clockwork Orange. And I just found him to be this really kind of exciting combination of, of not, not fanboy, but fan, genuine fan, mm-hmm. and, and also really educated. So he wasn't just, you know, talking out of his ass. Right. And... Um, <laughs> It was a, a really interesting uh, combination of energies to me. And uh, so he does a weekly program on uh, BBC5 with um, Simon Mayo, a radio program. And he, so a lot of his film reviews and some of his interviews are are uh, posted there. But he also has a side blog called Kermode Uncut, mm-hmm. and where he kind of more free forms about various topics of, you know, um, in, in cinema. And I disagree with him on, on a few things, but for the most part, you know, he's the guy I go to for, uh, for information. His, you know, even when I don't agree with him, I trust his opinion. I know exactly where he's coming mm-hmm. from right. when he's saying it. Um, but he's really, yeah, he's just terrific. And, um, so I really enjoy those. I also, uh, yeah, uh, lately been looking up uh, some of the history of horror stuff that Mark Gaddis was doing and, and uh-huh. things like that. Mm. I've really been enjoying as well. Right. Yeah. Mark Gaddis is, uh, has a great love for horror. Yeah. Um, it must be really hard sometimes. I, we didn't get a chance to discuss this on the air, but, um, Don, you saw the, I, I supported you some of the email exchange where Michael sent me about, uh, one of the horror hosts passed away earlier this week, Chili Billy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that must be one of the harder aspects of doing this because a lot of the people we're talking about are now either passed away or they're somewhat elderly or seniors at this point. And so you're getting into this, but at the same time, you're watching many of them pass into history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, again, a really good point. And actually, one, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I, I, I tend to go off on tangents um, in, the, okay, in the middle no of problem. conversation. But. I wish this was a, an aspect that we'd had a chance to, to talk about in the course of the interview, which was 
that um, we got lucky with mm. the American Scary film, the way that we timed it out. Um, mm-hmm. We got interviews with a number of people who passed away by the time the movie came out hmm. and um, or soon after. But of the people that we that we spoke with, uh, Milo Nermi's gone, Bob Wilkins passed away, and Bob had Alzheimer's, which mm. made it that much more difficult. Um, in the interview that we did, we were lucky that his, uh, his friend Bob Shaw was there, and Bob had worked mm-hmm. with, with, Bob Shaw had worked with Bob Wilkins at KTVU uh, for decades. Uh, Bob actually mm-hmm. got him a job there. Um, so Bob Shaw was able to prompt him on, on certain things, and that was helpful. Um, Alan Millar, who is uh, Dr. Enoch Witte, he also passed away. Um, yeah, there was a, a, a fellow we didn't get a chance to interview, um, who was M.T. Graves uh, in Florida. Oh, Bob Carter, um, mm-hmm. who uh, Sammy Terry, he passed away. And we didn't get a chance to interview him just because, uh, well, the production of the movie was out of pocket, and he was in the mm. Midwest. And basically, if we had been able to organize an interview with Rich Coves in Chicago, we could have mm-hmm. justified the expense of going from Chicago to Indianapolis and interviewing Bob Carter. But we mm. were never able to nail down it, a date for, for Rich Coves, and so we missed him, mm. and we weren't mm. able to go to Indiana. But I was, I was an invited guest out to Indiana for a convention that uh, Sammy Terry attended, so I did get a chance to sit down and talk with him for a good stretch of time. We, uh, we talked mm. for about a half an hour before he was going out, mm-hmm. and um, it was wonderful. And after, you know, and and, and afterward, the the people who had done the convention had gotten in contact with me and asked me to if I could help them with a. Um, uh, a plaque that they wanted to give to Bob Carter and his kids after Bob had, you know, gone into an old age home. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I just wrote something out for them. I said, look, you know, use what you want out of this, cut what you need, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so they said, no, this is perfect. They put it on the plaque and they told me later, you know, they gave it, you know, Bob was too ill, he couldn't make it, but the kids were there and he said they were crying mm-hmm. right. know, when they were reading the plaque. And, you know, so for me, as a as you know, as as a real fan and follower of the stuff, I and 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 you know, it, that meant a lot. And you know, meeting yeah, these and getting a chance to meet these people face to face, and uh, you know, just meant so much. Um, mm. I remember when when Sandy and I went to Syracuse, New York, to interview Alan Miller and Mike Price, who was Baron Damone in that mm-hmm. area. We honestly, we went there thinking these are minor hosts because we didn't know too much about them. I, I, I really didn't know too much about either of these guys. So mm-hmm. we just said, well, we'll just do this. We, you know, we've got the time. We're going to be in New York City for uh, Zachary and Commander USA, so it's not too much further. We'll just do it. No expectations whatsoever. Both of these mm-hmm. guys were so charming. They were the mm-hmm. best... There were two, uh, you know, I got a chance to meet Vampira. 
I got a chance mm. to meet Zachary. These were really, really exciting things for me. But really, my favorite interview was sitting down with Alan Miller and Mike Price. Mm. They were just <laughs> the nicest people, and they just exemplified local TV. Mm -hmm. You know, the and they knew each other. You know, they're buddies. You know, they had worked at different stations. Mike Price was still doing a. A, a little show on his, uh, you know, doing a segment on his local news show called The Good mm -hmm. News. So he was still in broadcasting. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it was, it was perfect. It was just so wonderful. And, uh, wow. yeah. And, and, you know, and then um, Mila Nurmi uh, mm -hmm. was just crazy wonderful. And uh, Sandy had, was interviewing her. Um, getting all the points that he wanted for the movie, and then he turned it over to me because he knew I I wanted to ask about all kinds of other stuff, and so right. he and I went off talking about Kafka and and Erta <laughs> and dance and all kinds of mm -hmm. other things that that you know they that had nothing to do with that that and it right. was great and we just had such a great time and and you know she's was notoriously difficult. And, uh, you know, you can never really count on where she was going to be emotionally. We got there. She couldn't have been more charming. And every, mm. we were laughing and joking. And at one point, I was saying, hey, look, I've, you know, I've read any number of articles on you about the cultural impact, about the character of Vampire, blah, blah, blah. I've never read anything about the actual production of your show, mm. the Nuts and Bolts. And she said, that's because nobody's interested. You're the first <laughs> mm. ones to ask. Mm. And so we got we got all of that history. And that's wow. probably the first time. Huh. You know? Um so you know, that all yeah, you know, all of that just meant so much. And and here's the thing, and this goes with very much with Chili Billy as well as all of these other people who've passed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I mentioned it in an email. It's just basically, these were old pros. Right. That's what I got out of all of that. You know, it's like, these were the pros. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and you could feel confident with that. Mm -hmm. They were comfortable. You know, there was, you know, when, when you're, you know, um, when you're a genuine pro, mm -hmm. the, all those sort of ego issues don't seem to come up as much because right. you're confident in what you do. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what I got from a lot of these folks. Huh. Wow. Yeah, so I guess it really was a great time. You picked a great time to make the movie then. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. I've got a large collection of horror host uh, costumes and posters and mm -hmm. postcards and um, various knickknacks from you know, frisbees to keychains and just uh, Morgus, Morgus the Magnificent, uh, um, Mardi Gras coins and right. uh, props from Dr. Paul Bearer and just all kinds of stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when it's my time, I'm, our, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm kicking, all of this stuff is going to a broadcast museum. And I'm, I'm thinking mm -hmm. Chicago right now. <laughs> They seem centrally located, and yeah, right. uh, that's where so much of the stuff on that coast is where so much of the stuff came from. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'm surprised they don't have a place uh, horror host museum in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. It seems like the most natural thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a friend who was trying to get one started up at at one point years ago, like back in the early 2000s. He was mm-hmm. yeah. He was he was more a dreamer than a practical person. <laughs> right. But it just well. it didn't happen. Um, but they you know they do they do have other kinds of broadcasting. I, I'm sure. The, the horror host and the Gallardi thing is is an aspect to their uh, you know broadcasters Hall of Fame and and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, and they do have a lot of conventions out there, and yeah, there's yes. one specifically the Gallardi Fest every year right. you know and Big Chuck and Little John and Houlihan comes in from Florida, and uh, their first the first convention they had they uh, they brought in Superhost but uh, uh, wow. he's not, yeah, he's not traveling anymore. He's, he's yes, he's he's quite elderly now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's of an age. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they do. You know, they do keep that stuff alive out there, and in a yeah. in a way that maybe some other cities don't. You know, you can go to Detroit and talk about, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sir Graves, or you can talk about the uh, you know the Ghoul, or or even Count Scary, or whatever. You can find mm-hmm. knickknacks in the uh, antique stores, but there's, yeah. it's just not the same sort of cultural thing as it was mm-hmm. in Cleveland. And a yeah. lot of that yeah. has to do with, uh, with a static population. Mm. One of the things that uh, Chuck and I talked about, I, I, I mentioned, uh, I said, you know, basically, Gallardi came on the air in 1963 in January. So it's mm-hmm. winter in Cleveland. You got three stations, <laughs> and it just seems to me that, you know, you've got a captive audience. Yeah, you know? yeah. And mm-hmm. that's why so much of it had a larger impact on the East Coast, because mm-hmm. people were, you know, were huddled up during yeah. the winter in a way that out here in California they're not. It's a different viewing experience. Mm-hmm. So people had a chance to get, you know, locked into this stuff. And then Chuck pointed out that at the same time, multiple generational families granddad still lives in the same town as grandkids you know and so you've got more of that through line the population doesn't move around so much so the people who watched Hulan and big chuck when they were kids you know are bringing their grandkids to gallardi fest to meet big chuck mm. you know because everybody grew up with it you know and right. and the chuck and john show was on and through the early 2000s, 2007. Mm-hmm. So those, you had families who were watching that together. You know, three generations mm-hmm. could be watching the same show at the same time. Right. Huh. That, that makes sense. That, that definitely makes sense. I mean, and Superhost, going back to him when he was on, to who I watched in Cleveland, was, of course, um, on Saturday afternoons. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he, he started from... I. My my weekly schedule when I was he was 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 built around his uh, twelve o'clock. He started showing um, Laurel and Hardy sketches and Three Stooges, and they'd do that for an hour. And then from one to four, he would show two slightly hacked up, you know, B movies. Right. And that's how it was. And so it was an it was a very much an afternoon family Saturday afternoon phenomenon, at least uh, for Channel Forty Three there in Cleveland. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that the the, the the very same movies that were mm-hmm. that the stations were concerned about 
mm-hmm. in the late 1950s, concerned enough to put them on in late night television, yeah. would be <laughs> afternoon family movies by, you know, yes. like less than 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, they would be. <laughs> and some of them were still, they were definitely still horror movies. Yeah. Oh, well, he showed he showed Frankenstein and the Wolfman and uh, oh, yeah. Dracula. You know, he showed the universal stuff. Um, yep. As well as yep, Attack they... of the Crab Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Attack of the Crab Monsters, Horror Party Beach, Attack yeah. of the Giant Leeches. You know, you go down the list. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, yep. that to me, I, I, that was one of the things growing up um, in the mid-60s especially, uh, with mm. black and white TV when I was a kid, that uh, black and white TV was a real equalizer. You know, mm-hmm. and if you, were, if you were a kid who loved monsters, you could see Attack of the Crab Monsters or the, the Giant Leeches the mm. same day that you saw Bride of Frankenstein. And yeah. on one level, they're all monster movies. You know, and I, I think that helped me, really, honestly, helped me be less judgmental about films because I, mm. you know, when I was a kid, I liked Attack of the of uh, the Giant Leeches, <laughs> and once you start to explore, you know, the uh, the technical quality of Bride mm. of Frankenstein, you can appreciate what's going on technically in something like Attack of the Crab Monsters, like. Hmm. You start to you start to make sense of something that that's fully realized and something that's kind of holding itself together. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, and that's just another way of of appreciating something that is being done on the fly. I mean, Attack of the Crab Monsters, in a sense, it's like there's something that matches a, a host for you because mm. it's all seat of the pants. You know, yeah. you you got. On the one level, of course, it's planned, but on the other, it's like mistakes will happen. <laughs> you know? yeah, oh, yeah. And you just keep going. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the way it works. Huh. I hadn't thought about that, but it's true. It really would make you appreciate the good stuff much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the first movie that gave me a nightmare was Bride of the Monster. Really? Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, can, I can tell you specifically what it was because it's stuck in, stuck in my brain all these years. Um, mm. I must to be to be honest. I mean, I really it was like I was four years old at the time. But mm-hmm. there's a shot of the octopus and the guy flopping around in the little puddle with the octopus, screaming mm-hmm. his guts out. And it's the fact that there's it's a single key light above the octopus, which just highlights the outline, a person screaming in this dark mm-hmm. pool, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just that combination of images woke me up screaming as a four-year-old kid. So there's Ed Wood's target audience right there. <laughs> right. It's four-year-olds. And, uh, but that worked on me. As, uh, you know, I, I could, I, right. I've seen the movie many times, but mm. I could tell you I did not remember a single thing about that viewing of the movie except for that one image. Huh. Right. So, out of curiosity, what is Dr. Ghoulfinger? Did you actually try being a horror host yourself? I did that for, uh, for a brief period of time for a couple of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking with a number of people at the time who were working in public access, and mm-hmm. there was a part of me that just said, hey, this looks like fun. Mm-hmm. There's another yeah. part that said, this, this is something that I really enjoy. This is something that I really 
appreciate. Mm-hmm. I would like to experience this. And mm-hmm. so I created a show, and I did uh, about ten episodes of, of this thing. Right. And the the interesting thing to me was when I started doing it, mm-hmm. immediately, um, as I told friends, I'd have you know people just go, "That's great." Mm-hmm. And I started doing live events and conventions wow. because I was in a costume, mm-hmm. and. When I would go, I would talk about, you know, um, horror hosts in general, local hosts. It was great. Mm-hmm. There was a one, one point I was uh, doing a show in Oakland, and I mentioned Big Chuck and Little John, and from the back of the uh, from the back of the crowd, there was this big, wahoo! <laughs> I, said, I, I just turned. And I said, "You're from Cleveland." Cleveland by the lake. You know? <laughs> so it's like yeah. someone from Cleveland happened to be there. You know. Right, and, right. you know, so I really enjoyed that. And then, but at the same time, it was, it was never something I committed myself to like, hey, boy. And then the next step for me is to turn this into a real live grown-up TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, I was having, I was having fun. And right. I went to conventions here and in, in Cleveland. And um, I actually started getting mail from Cleveland because I was on the Son of Ghoul show. um mm-hmm on his live game show a couple of times. And um, there was one week, in fact, uh, it just worked out. I was, I did the, the Cleveland hat trick. I was on the mm-hmm. Son of Ghoul, Big Chuck and Little John, and the Ghoul show all in the same week. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anyone in Cleveland. I'm, I'm, and I'm serious <laughs> about this. I don't think there's anyone in Cleveland who can say the same thing. Right. It just didn't happen. You know, it, it just for me, it's just how it worked out, and and uh, but I, I I stopped doing it for a couple of reasons, uh, not the least of which was the same people that I had been talking to at the beginning of the year who were mm-hmm. doing public access shows, and I thought, oh, this is fun, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're doing things with each other. By the end of that year, we're starting to claim that we're continuing the tradition. Mm. we're the legacy and i just said man that's no fun at all and then so <laughs> right. i just stopped okay because yeah, i just like these people are taking this shit way too seriously and and um i put on the i put on the uh the drag one last time at mm-hmm. the Horrorhound convention in 2011 when they um did a tribute to vampira specifically because the guy who was doing it wanted to gather as many costumed people together as possible for this. He mm. asked me specifically to do it, and he paid for my flight in my room. Oh, and wow. so okay. if you know if the you come to the dance and they say wear the prom dress, you wear the prom dress. <laughs> but yep. that was that was the last time I, I did anything like that. Um, right. But. It, you know, on the other hand, in, in a weird way, I, I, I mean, I haven't changed my email address or anything like that because right. it, it's also it has picked up a, a certain cachet just right. as a as a um, as an alter alter ego. And mm. I, I I love having a nickname. People call me Doc all the time, and and, and <laughs> right. you know 
that's fine. That's as far as I'm ever going to take any of that stuff. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Doc's a pretty cool nickname. I'll stay with right. that. Sure. So you're not going to be Dr. Goolfinger at the uh, horror convention that you're going to next weekend? Oh, no, no, not at all. No. Okay. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, and, and there are, again, a number of reasons for that, Not, but not the least mm-hmm. of which is just keeping that separation, keeping a clear, mm-hmm. just a clean line between um, being in a costume and talking about horror host history. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you know, it's like people will gather to someone in a costume a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really, that's what I found when I, as soon as I started dressing up in a costume, suddenly I was talking in front of large groups who loved, mm-hmm. who were coming to see people in costumes. But huh. at mm-hmm. some point it's like, well, you know, am I a costumed guy who talks about this stuff? Or, you know, am I a, an historian, a writer, right. a researcher? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, that's really what I feel much more comfortable with. It's, you know, mm. you know I'm a horror host story. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely are, sir. You definitely yeah. are. Wow. Thank you so much for speaking to us. I mean, it, this has been a fantastic interview. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this. Oh, thank you, man. So did, so did I, and thank you so much for reaching out. I mean, uh, I, I, I honestly, it, it, I do despair sometimes, you know, with all of these, with, you know, with mm-hmm. the old pros going. Mm-hmm. It's like, who's, right, yeah. Yeah, who's, who's here to be interested in this stuff? Who's going to be... Who's going to remember this stuff? And mm-hmm. um, so I do feel it, it, it's that much more important to, you know, uh, to keep that history alive. It's the same thing. You know, I, I take mm-hmm. comfort in knowing people are still writing about silent movies. People mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. interested in Abbott and Costello, you know, yep. and, and, Abbott and on radio as well as, as in films mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And so people, people do remain interested. I mean, there's a generation that won't look at a black and white movie. That breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, but if, if you can find a way in, mm. uh, there, there's always a chance. Uh, uh, a guy told me that um, he watches silent movies with his, his toddlers, and mm-hmm. he reads the uh, title cards to them. And to them, it's like, they they love silent movies because it's like a, a living storybook, huh? Right, you know. And so, you know, that's cool. That's good. I really li- I like that part of it. So, mm. hopefully, it's not just going to be a bunch of old geezers saying, "Back in my day," you know. <laughs> yeah. You really do want people to be like, like, "Wow, they did this in my area. They did this in my neighborhood. This is great." Mm-hmm. You know, mm. I, I I love that stuff. Well, I think there's definitely a, a real lack of appreciation for local culture. Yeah. That's especially in the current generation, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. see, and, and, and you nailed it. See, that's, I, I guess that's what I was trying to get at with the whole Internet versus mm. broadcasting thing. Is, you, know, mm. lo- you know, local history, just in general, just itself, really gets a, a bad knock by, mm. by people all being more interested in Beyonce than in... Mm whatever their local version of Captain Kangaroo was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, because one of the, one of the key things, and, and, and I'm sorry to go on, but I, and I will let oh, no, you go. Oh, no, go ahead. But, but one, of the, one of the key things about local celebrities is, is they were attainable. Mm. Yeah. You know, huh. they're, they're attainable in a way. Like, 
Captain Satellite you you could run into at the grocery store. You know, right. he, he would be doing an event, and you'd see mm. him in costume at an event doing Captain Satellite, but you could run into Bob March, the guy who played Captain Satellite, right. at a supermarket. And yeah. as a kid, that's attainable. I, I see this guy on TV, and here he is squeezing the melons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's something that's inspirational. Kids send in their, their artwork to these people mm-hmm. for a reason. They showed them on TV. Right, you know, yeah. So, and you got, you, someone held up your artwork on their horror show or their kid show or whatever. The next day in school, you were a celebrity. Because yeah, yeah, you know all your friends saw your artwork on that on that TV. That's inspirational, and that goes back to things like you know people who, who grew up watching Bob Wilkins getting into the business. Bob did a uh, um, uh, a live event back in 1998, and mm-hmm. we, I, my wife and I went. We got there like three hours early. I said we're going to be the first in line. Nah. We were five and six because the first three guys were from Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and they got there first. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, that really, that does mean a lot. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difference, again, between the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and um, uh, American Idol. Mm-hmm. Beatles on Ed Sullivan, four guys with instruments, right. playing instruments. The next day, armies of guys and gals are going out, getting drums, basses, guitars, mm-hmm. and starting their own bands. American Idol, mm-hmm. you know, giant screens, giant flashing lights, mm-hmm. big bands, you know, this huge arena and auditorium and people texting away. It's like, wait, you can't buy into all of that. Somebody yeah. else mm. is telling you whether you're talented or not, and then you get up on the stage, and they own the music, they own the stage, they own the <laughs> they own the means of production. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's it. Yeah. But you know, uh, the Beatles are in Ed Sullivan. Next, you know, within months, garage bands all over the place. People are, you know, singing Beatles songs. They're writing their own songs, and some of them went on to be rock and rollers who, who mm-hmm. they went totally legit, you know, and, or they got into, into, uh, recording production. Things just happened with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And, and again, and, you know, to me, something like an American Idol, it's a total dead end because it's all about the technology and the flash and not about yeah. people actually playing music. Mm-hmm. And so the Beatles are doable. And you got suddenly, you know, you've got local, you know, you've got local dance shows with local bands on the dance shows, um, mm-hmm. you know, as well as, you know, playing records, you know, the Doors or, or the Birds or whatever. But they'd have a local band on as well. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these local horror shows and uh, and kid shows would ha- would mm-hmm. do that as well. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, and their next gig was at the high school hop, but. You know, that's all local history, and it's all attainable celebrity. And right. that's what's missing. You know, if, if you're on YouTube and you, you just give it your best, you give it your all, you put everything into it, and you're out, you know, you're outdrawn by a cat video, 
what does that do? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You know, entertainment in, in a weird way, it's simple. You could be Noel Coward or you can get punched in the balls. <laughs> Both of them. Yep. Somebody's going to laugh, right? Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I just really like that idea of, of local. Local is organic. I guess mm. that that's that's the root of it. It's like it's yeah. organic and it grows outward. And this other stuff is, mm. you know, it's like it's, it's soylent green. It's a synthetic product that's <laughs> delivered to you. Yeah. Um, and some people, again, you know, do it much better than others. I love honest trailers. And, mm. you know, I go on and look at honest trailers in, on YouTube, and those fuckers are pulling millions of views. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, you know, and then, but the, you know, the, the next guy over, it's I, <laughs> David the Rock Nelson, had, had, uh, who, who did, like, you know, these home movie videos of, like, Devil Ant and things like that. You see a David the Rock Nelson video, and it was posted two years ago, and there have been 11 views. And right. you know at least three of them are David the Rock Nelson. <laughs> right. You know, so you, you just can't, yeah, yeah, you just can't count on it. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, well, the Internet reacts to either things that are very, very good or very, very bad, yeah. and... But it well, hates mediocrity. It hates everything in between. You know, and that's... and But, you know, and it's like... I'm, I'm, even as I was just getting ready to give you a full-throated agreement, like, absolutely, see, and that's what's wrong with everything. I remember mm-hmm. telling you not, not too long ago, hey, I watched mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein, the Dracula, yep. the Werewolf of London on Asmodeus, and then I watched, you know, Agent for Harm, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's <laughs> daughter, Horror of Party mm-hmm. Beach on Bob Wilkins. Right. And boy, you, th- th- those are your highs and lows. And, yeah. <laughs> if, if, you know, as long as it delivers, I guess that's the thing, you know, a, a, a $200 million inert movie, you know, mm-hmm. something that just sits there and makes you want to kill yourself with, from boredom versus, you know, a, a, again, a $5 cat video that just delights you. Mm-hmm. It's like, right, yeah. you know, on the other hand, if you spend a lot of money and you come up with something that just makes me jump out of my chair. I don't care about mm-hmm. the money. I'm jumping out of That's my true. chair. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. just it's the quality. It's what it it's what hits you. Mm. <laughs> Don is actually a toy maker. Oh, really? And, so, but like uh, um, industrial or or art? I do it mostly as a uh, as a hobby. But I got okay. like a little little injection mold setup thing in the basement and that for doing. Oh, it. wow! That's great. Kinda. Once you get to that point, you just crank them out, and I do. So you run out of space. <laughs> yeah. No. His I, house basically looks like a museum for toys. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's wonderful. I I, I have a friend who um, is a mask maker. Oh. And, okay. Yeah, and he's you know he's worked um, solo himself. Uh, you know, as an independent for many many years, and he also uh, spent. Uh, some time just recently, in fact, working with uh, one of the Chiodo brothers. Okay. Um, at, uh, but uh, he was a very, very popular mask maker, just on his own with his company, Bump of the Night. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what he's what he's calling it now because he just recently returned to doing independent stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's a it's it's actual business business. 
but right. it did it did start uh, as a hobby and yeah. i really admire people who mm. are that kind of creative i mean for instance i i wish i knew how to sculpt mm-hmm. and do mm. you know and make if cuz i would make a horror host hall of fame action figure set <laughs> basically <laughs> but i can't make a zachary or or a gallardi you know I've got I got an old Captain Action figure that looks surprisingly like Ernie Anderson, uh, especially <laughs> when he put a beard mustache on it. And right. I and I I cut the fuzzy foot off of some stuffed toy, and it's a mm-hmm. perfect fright wig. It fits, <laughs> right. and it's like now I'm just looking for a doll's lab coat, and I'll I'll have my uh, Gallardi action figure. But that's right. That's as close as I get. <laughs> I'm surprised that they aren't selling like a little horror host dolls at these horror conventions that you go to. Mm. I mean, they're perfect fodder for that kind of thing. You, you would think. You would think there was. Um, um, I think it was. It was. I don't know if it was a mock time or someone else. They did do a limited uh, Zachary. Yeah. Doll. A uh, limited run Zachary doll. There have been uh, some marquettes of Vampira and mm-hmm. Elvira. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, so those those things they do pop up occasionally, and I know someone did a um, uh, just a, a, a fan version of Commander USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know what sort of doll they adapted for it, but it was, I, I saw a photograph. I was actually, you know, I wanted one. It really looked great. <laughs> yeah, <'cause... laughs> but uh, but yeah, but beyond that, there's there. It, it doesn't seem that there's a real big. Uh, that's not a real big draw. Mostly it's, it's smaller Mm -hmm. little, um, statuettes or, or something like that. Um, I mean, fans do produce things, but they, they don't tend to be overly elaborate. Hmm. Yeah. Cause for, for actual sales, something like, uh, like the horror hosts again, because they were local, Mm -hmm. there's very few that have the name recognition because say doing an action figure, even if you're using a generic body, because a lot of companies will have like a generic body or generic format, it can be expensive. And if you can't move, like I think for a small company, if you can't move, say, 5,000 of them, mm-hmm. and at that level, they're going to be selling for around, say, 40 or 50 bucks, mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Then, then it's not, it's not, a, it's not, feasible. it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people yeah, for. People won't want to collect that. They're going to want to play with it. Like, yeah. So you, you, it doesn't have investor potential as a collectible, but it's something a lot of people would love. It's just you can't bring it down to the price point where people will be willing to spend the money for it. Yeah. Again, you, yeah, yeah. You get some local sculpts and things like that, but it's it, it, they're they're mostly tabletop. Yeah. Um, I had for a period of really nice. Um, Sammy Terry sculpt that somebody did, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it was just a bust rising right. up behind a uh, um, tombstone, and it looked huh. great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really looked nice. I, I can't remember how. I think must have gotten off of eBay or something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I ran into a, a, the the guy who brought me out to Indianapolis for the Sammy Terry event. Um, he had been looking for one of those for years and he was just <laughs> gaga over it. And, uh, mm-hmm. he's a really nice guy and everything too. And eventually I managed to, I, he managed to get it out of my hands. I mean, I 
I, I kind of <laughs> semi-regret it, but on the mm-hmm. other hand, I got actual prop pieces oh, okay. from a, a Dr. Paul Bearer's skull from the show, which has these <laughs> uh, crystal eyes in it, which are really neat wow. and, and very distinctive. I mean, it's, it's clearly that's the original piece. Uh, right. I, we both know the, the guy that he got it from, um, who had gotten a bunch of Paul Bearer's uh, material after he had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got that as well as a pair of gloves that Paul Bearer had, won, had worn in his character of Count Chocula. Oh. which he, uh, Dick Bennick did before Dr. Paul Bearer at another station in uh, um, in, in the area, uh, North Carolina, I think, or Virginia. And um, so that's actually really cool. I mean, those are real genuine pieces of history that were, that were used by a host on his show versus this really, really adorable sculpt. And, okay, I got it. It's a... <laughs> But uh, yeah, when I did see Sammy, I I, I did get uh, uh, a couple of autographed, a couple of items autographed by him and, and things like that. So, right, um, that also helps make up for it quite a bit. I mean, I've got I've got my Sammy Terry stuff, so I'm, I'm happy <laughs> about that. Yeah, I've got one of That's the awesome. spiders used on his on on his last run as well. Huh. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, like I said, it's it really is. It's like a little TV museum in here, and when I go, this this place has to go to a genuine. Uh, oh TV yeah, museum. definitely. Yeah, you've got some real history there, from the sounds of it. it. That's the other piece of the the whole history of horror hosts for me mm. is that they were part of history. They were really yeah. a part of history. Mm. Um, uh, Christopher Coffin talked about he was he was uh, Reed Farrell. He was the number one DJ in the St. Louis area. John John Kennedy was coming for a visit, and because he was he was the number one in the market, the CIA was using him to coordinate media in that area for the visit. Mm-hmm. And he met John Kennedy. Wow! <laughs> and he said he he shook his hand and he said the man glowed. Right. He yeah. glowed, and he also. Was a was a huge supporter of Elvis Presley, and right. he was working at a station that was switching from rock and roll to easy listening. And oh. Reed was just arguing against it, saying, "No, you know, you don't want to do this." And they said, "No, no, the the the, the kids will listen to what we want them to listen to." And and they set up a media event with Reed the next day, mm-hmm. where he would smash a record on the air and say, rock and roll has got to go and start this right. new programming. And they, they mm. brought in media people and they filmed it. Right. And he said he was totally against it, had to do it because the bosses told him. And that clip, rock and roll mm-hmm. has got to go, he said it was such an embarrassment because it showed up in every rock and roll documentary <laughs> since. Yep. Yes, it did. I, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. And, uh. on, on, but on the other hand, Elvis mm. Presley came to town, and mm. he knows all those people. And they know he was a big supporter, and they asked mm. him to introduce Elvis, who was premiering his gold suit. Huh. It was the first time in concert that he was wearing the gold suit. And he said, right. so you go out on stage, you talk to the kids, and then when we give you the signal, Elvis will come out at the top of the stairs, come down, shake hands, you guys exchange a few words, and then you're off. And mm. they said, perfect. 
So he gets out on stage, and there's a delay. So he's got a mm-hmm. vamp with these kids who are just stomping and ready to tear the place apart. Right. And finally, they give him the signal, and he says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis Presley. And he said, at that point, you couldn't hear another thing <laughs> because the shrieking was so loud. He said, you ever, you ever hear the phrase, wall of noise? That's exactly yeah. what it was. He said he could feel his skin tingling from the mm. vibration, and he was being pushed back by the sheer sound and volume. He mm. said, I did not stick around. <laughs> right, they yeah. saw Elvis, they, and he just, he beat a, he just said, no way I'm waiting around for this because the kids are rushing the stage. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. So again, they're all part. You know, it's history. Yeah. And yeah. and and uh, uh, Frank Sheridan, uh, as Mo was out here in in chemo, mm-hmm. he was uh, he would haunt the uh, ticker tape, the AP ticker tape. He was a news right. junkie, and mm-hmm. so he was watching the ticker tape. Reports Robert Kennedy was shot. And so Chemo Television, which was a small station out here, was the first station in the Bay Area to broadcast the announcement because Frank Sheridan was a news junkie and hung out, hmm, you know? Right. And, um, you know, that's, yeah, that's just, you know, especially during that mm-hmm. period of the, of the 60s, mm. these hosts, you know, I, one, of, one, of the, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in now is what for specifically for these shows mm. what happened when kennedy was assassinated how mm. long how long was it until your horror host came back on the air and what was he like or she like when they returned did they comment yeah. on it did oh. they avoid it yeah. you know it just really it was such a a cosmically disruptive event right. how mm. Did how and how long did it take them to deal with it? And oh, so I'm right. just really interested in that. Um, that would be in compa- that would be something to compare to nine uh, eleven. After how uh, like the comedy show host and the talk show host and everything, how did they deal with nine eleven in the following week or, weeks or days? Yeah. The Son of Ghoul had a live hmm. game show on at the time. The Son of Ghoul's House of Fun and Games live game show. It was right. a trivia show. They had four phone lines. People would call in, and they would uh, compete against each other with trivia questions that he would draw mm-hmm. out of out of a drum. Real old fashioned, really great, and probably the last live program like that um, mm-hmm. on television. I don't know if there's anything anything like that, especially a game show happening now. Mm. His as as his schedule was working out for that period of time, the House of Fun and Games was on had a scheduled date of nine twelve, uh-huh. And I've got the show. Right. He comes out. He's, you know, the, the, he had post either he had, would have like monster posters and stuff in the background. It's replaced mm. by American flags. And mm. he's, he's standing there. He goes, wow. Hey group. Uh, man, what a tragedy. Um, yeah, we, he said, we were making calls all day. Should we do it? Should we even go on the air? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we finally decided, man, we got to just push through. Yeah, we absolutely, we got to do this. And 
you know, and there's some more of that by play. And then mm. they, you know, they start taking calls. Mm. And and people are almost treating it like a, a like a call-in radio show at that point mm. because mm. they're they're sharing pretty much everything that you would expect. You know, people mm. they're they're shocked, they're sad, they're angry, and mm. you you're yeah. just and you know and they're they're looking in some cases for a sense of community, um, and you just you heard everything you know across the spectrum coming through those phones and it was just such a perfect representation of what was what america felt like on november the 12th right yeah and they still played a trivia game hmm. in amongst all of that stuff he was still reading trivia you know mm. what was the name of of uh, you know samantha stevens neighbor on bewitched Mm. that type of thing. And at the end of it, people would get a prize. They might get mm. a good prize, which is a meal to Rassisi's Italian restaurant, or they might get a can of right. Eenie Weenies. <laughs> right. And all of that was still happening. Wow. So, mm. it, like, so that, that, that weird sense of normalcy at just running parallel to this, this just catastrophic, sweep of emotion it was right i you know and i in a lot of ways yeah i've i've told kevin uh, many mm. times i just thought that was really his finest hour you know right. that's what a broadcaster yeah. does and mm. that's another difference between tv and the internet you know yeah yeah i can i can totally see that huh. i'd have to say that you know it's funny that since i discovered gularty Gularty is probably my favorite horror host in the world, even though I've never actually watched a, a single episode of his show. Yeah. Right, right. You just, just even... watching, just watching Turn Blue and watching like the archival footage I've seen of him and that. I, he's amazing. Mm. Yeah, there was um, someone dug up a bunch of audio as well because mm -hmm. so, you know, about twenty minutes of hosting exists. About an additional hour of skits and programming exists. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's uh, someone dug up. A bunch of audio, you know, the kid mm -hmm. just holding his mic up to the TV, and um, it is the first. Uh, Kevin got it to me last year, and it was the first mm -hmm. example I ever heard of any of the Gallardi, Laurel Gallardi and Hardy show at all. <laughs> right. So to me, that was legendary, wow. and there was nothing, nothing existed. It just was, and then suddenly this audio pops up. And if anything, this mm. afternoon kid, it's a kid's show. Yeah. If anything, it's sloppier than what he was doing late night. He would, there'd, he'd hear these long gaps of silence, and then he'd like be calling somebody from off camera. Just, hey, Rick, Rick, come here a minute. Come here a minute. So, oh what's that, you know, what's that thing that it was, it was all about just hanging with him? Yeah. You know, that, that's what, and, and that, I think it was, like why his show was so great because it really was just hanging with Gallardi. Yeah. He wasn't doing a, a show show. Mm. He was, you know, you came, Hey, he just happened to be there. How you doing? And then he's just off, you know, <laughs> whatever's yeah. on his mind. Yep. Um, you're just hanging out with Ernie Anderson, <laughs> which is, which is awesome in and of itself. Yeah. And, and I've often, I, I've often told Kevin too, that, um, 
you know, he does he does enough, he does a lot of skits and and you know, we mm-hmm. calls his bits and things like that. And they're a real mixed bag. He'll be the first to tell you, but they're a right. real real mixed bag. But mm-hmm. when he opens the mail, mm-hmm. you know, and he just starts riffing on letters and thing and pe- things that people <laughs> have sent him and stuff like that, I'm in tears just yeah. laughing because and I and I tell him I said that you know, in those moments, you are closer to to Gilardi than Ron Sweet mm-hmm. ever was. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is really much closer to to what Ernie Anderson was doing. Right. You know, it's the, a really ca- he captures that same sort of hanging out vibe that <laughs> uh, it, it, which is tough to get sometimes. You know, you have to be really relaxed and confident, and at the same time. You do have to care about what you're doing, and it's a, it's a, it's a tricky balance. Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. Anyway, so I have to get dinner. I'm afraid. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I'd actually really like to keep talking, but unfortunately, you know, dinner's calling. No, no, so, no, uh, no, man, dinner takes priority. Period. <laughs> yeah, but no, but thanks again, Michael. This has been a fantastic show, and it's been great to get to know you and talk yeah. to you. Yeah. Hey, same. And, same here, guys. I, I really, really appreciate it and really enjoy talking over you. And that's the end of our discussion we had with Michael Monahan about Horror Hosts. It really was an amazing chat, and we hope to have Michael back again to discuss one of his other passions, the super spy genre. Until then, happy Halloween, and tune in next week for a chat with Jack Ward about the true nature of nerdliness. Stay nerdly. Good night, folks. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!